Club podcast. We are here, we being me and Amanda. Hey, Amanda. Hello. <laughs> I'm gonna get those. I want to get your intro in right away, nice. just to not confuse the listener. At this point, you're a staple of the pod co-host, so I don't <laughs> want there to be any lingering doubt out there in the universe. <laughs> but we are 72 episodes deep into our reviews of the Penguin Little Black Classics collection. That is a collection of world literature the Penguin put together, slim little volumes. And yeah, since we're 72 episodes in, there better not be confusion at this point. I suppose we might have a a stray listener or two wandering in off the podcast streets and just taking this one in for the first time. If that's you, welcome. You're in good company and you'll be in good hands today for a book review. Um, The goal of this episode, as with all the book reviews, is to try and recommend and rate to a certain extent a piece of literature from this set. Today we are here with Catherine Mansfield. Unless I'm, is there a British pronunciation to that? I'm not getting Mansfield. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. Was, or like, I was thinking maybe they would uh, blend some letters or sounds together, mm. like Mins Mansfield or yeah. Mansfield. At this, we can only speculate that so far away. It's across the <laughs> an ocean, and who knows how things are pronounced. But we have here a collection of short stories, I believe three of them, by uh, Catherine Mansfield, an author I knew zero about as the Penguin Classics review, as they've gone on, I've exposed my lack of English or British literature background, and this is another British author I knew zero about, and so it was new for me. How about for you? Yeah, she's new for me as well, and she's uh, she's technically from New Zealand, um, so she's right, a Kiwi, right. Kiwi writer. Um. Kiwi writer. <laughs> But she was, she did, didn't she spend time in England? Yeah, or she even um, okay. left New Zealand in order to live in England for a long time. Right. Yeah. The, the research department at Wikipedia this week informed me that she kind of disowned. She like never went back. Yeah. Kind of disowned the the New Zealand connection. Yeah. But they do claim her. She has statues and things down there. So yeah, with credit where credits due, nationally speaking, way to go, New Zealand. I think they have more recent achievements that I'm impressed by, frankly, <laughs> in 2020 than than producing this one like maybe just okay writer. We'll get into that in a second. Let's begin the review with some basic questions. We like to start with the who, what, and why. Who was Catherine Mansfield? I'll tackle this one, I suppose. Yeah. I, I think probably the modernist writer part's the most important here. She had kind of a wealthy background and then kind of bopped around in the bohemian way, just kind of wandering, being an artist and being a writer. And so, but the, the modernist bent is probably the most clear thing is that her writing, it clearly is straddling a line and we've covered other authors that do this too, but it's clearly straddling a line between stuffy old writing, maybe Victorian era stuff and then also in like that realism period and in American naturalism too, but it's that transition point between that and modernism. So things we'd be more accustomed to today. And so, yeah, she kind of rode that line in her art and in her writing. Apparently she had some kind of marriage with her, her mother. She destroyed her mother's marriage. As you can tell, I researched this very thoroughly and, uh, and equip myself well for this section. But no, she, she was a, a New Zealand writer who spent most time in England and it seems was concerned with the lives of artists. At least one of the short stories is explicitly about that. Yeah. Um, what do we have here, Amanda, and why did Penguin pick it? So we've got three short stories from her collection that she wrote later in life. Um, she got really sick and, and bounced around a lot. And that's when her most prolific writing was, was when she was okay. like at death's door. Um, so oh, it's, these okay. are three stories from her, the garden party and other stories. And um, so she is 
still an important literary figure in New Zealand, which you mentioned that she's got like statues and schools are named after her. Yeah. Stuff like yeah. that. And um, she was also a contemporary of authors like D.H. Lawrence and Virginia Woolf, who are really big names. So she's just yes. perhaps yeah. for American students anyway, not as well known as those two, but still a contemporary yep. of that time. Yeah, D.H. Lawrence, we actually covered on a recent episode. So that's top of mind. Mm -hmm. And Virginia Woolf is up there in the pantheon of modernist writers. And it seems like she was held in some esteem by those folks. So it's, you know, a contemporary. And unless you're in the the high levels of the academy and you're professor of some variety, you know, there's always going to be authors that slip through the cracks. It's one of the fallacies of enjoying reading is that people just sometimes assume you know it all and that's just such a wild impossibility so this is an author i just never encountered what do you know there's people out there writing all kinds of short stories i've never seen so (laughs) yeah yeah, new for both of us let's yeah let's move into the actual review then we'll start with our one sentence similes we always begin this way creative way to kick things off Amanda, why don't you start us off this week with your simile? What was reading uh, Miss Brill, the short story collection, like? Um, I said reading this is like watching your, because uh, we were both teachers, um, it was like watching mm-hmm. your teenage students interacting with each other, especially when the students are just trying so hard to be like in and cool and um, up to date with everything, right? And so you, you as, yeah. as the observer, you just like kind of cringe at just the, the way that they are interacting and there's like a little bit of pity for the kids and just general embarrassment for what they're doing (laughs) right on their behalf yes exactly it comes through in a tremendous pain (laughs) and just throughout your whole body through the spine through the legs through the toes you feel the incredible awkwardness and you know, it'll be a moment that they'll remember forever. Oh yeah. Unfortunately, oh, yeah. You, you know, you know, when those occur, <laughs> even if you'd like not to. Yeah. It, the characters in these stories certainly kind of butt heads in that way. Mm-hmm. They almost feel teenage like in their ability to communicate with each other yeah. and their ability to just interact and read each other perhaps some more than others. I put that reading these stories felt like, kind of playing the telephone game in elementary school where it's in this regard, when you're that age and you do it for the first or second or third time or what have you, I think you always assume it will go well because it seems like it just should. It just seems like such an obvious thing that you should accomplish. And then of course the twist is that it just never does. There's always mistranslations and pitfalls and stuff. And this felt that way. Like there were things that should have happened and gone. Okay. And then there are all of a sudden miscommunications and and just wild, inconsistent things that occur. Mm -hmm. And it's almost surprising at times, maybe even nonsensical. We'll get into that later. But yeah, it just felt like a large missed connection in a sense. Yeah, I think that's a great analogy for this. Yeah, and the the characters interact in that way, and it's it's pretty blatant at times. And we'll get into that with the quotes, I think. Let's talk connections then. We do like to make it relevant for the listener up front and find some connections to 2020 when we're recording this. I put down that even though this has kind of become an online meme, there's this idea out there of, of a wife guy. Have you heard of this idea? No, I I have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> yeah, this is a thing that I have a I have kind of a lurker Twitter account, which means I follow things, but I never post. I just, uh, frankly, I as embarrassing as it is to say, I get a lot of my cultural updates or like even news from Twitter, Mm -hmm. you know, not the headlines, but like it, 
I click through and can follow people that give me things I want to know kind of a vibe. Mm -hmm. Um, And I follow some critics on there too. And just, yeah, people that review stuff anyway. But anyway, there's this idea I've seen online about the wife guy, which is just this notion of men these days whose identities always seem to come back to the wife. It's like you ask them a question or they're doing an interview or they're talking about their work and it always comes back to them being married. It's, it kind of goes with that Borat joke about my wife and people like to do that Borat voice about it. It's kind of interwoven with that, but it's just this idea of somebody whose identity has seemed to have been subsumed by being married and having a wife that, and they're very happy about being married. And I think that kind of awkward energy is present in some of these. And there's this uncomfortable disconnect between some of these husbands and their wives. And so I think in a weird way that kind of cropped up and came to my mind of these men who just really need a better way to connect with their, with their wives in a sense. Yeah. And so marriage, I guess would be the, if I wanted to go broader, marriage is a clear connection here to these. How about you, Amanda? Um, wow. I've never met like very few of my friends are married anyway, but like the wife guy thing, I've, I don't think I've ever met a guy who based his entire identity on his wife. So that's interesting. And I think too, it's funny because it, I've noticed it with certain friends of mine But I don't know if it's an identity thing. Maybe that's too extreme, but it's almost that they can never make it through a conversation without mentioning it. And Mm. we could probably just broaden it to being, I feel like it's the early marriage kind of stuff, I guess. Maybe, maybe it's early. Maybe it's just, I don't know, maybe marriages sustain that kind of energy, but it's just a sort of like inseparability. That's a noun now, making that a noun. (laughs) But the inseparable nature of those, it's like the, you know, when you're first in the strongest bonds of it and it's, you know, you can't spend a second without doing something together, that kind of an energy. Mm -hmm. And I feel like, yeah, I, I don't even think I have any close friends I would put in this category, but I understand the joke when I see it, I suppose. Mm. I get the gist of it, that sort of inseparable quality. Um, how about your connection, mm. Amanda? What'd you got? Um, I said that my connection is um, anybody who has ever struggled to figure out what your place is in the world, and probably this happened in as a teenager in college years, right after college, perhaps even, you know, now (laughs) marriage, Uh post-marriage, whatever. Um, But just trying to figure out what your relationship with it is with your peers, uh, what your relationship is within the family and what it is within society. Just that um, trying to search for like identity but not just your personal identity. It's your identity as it pertains to others. Yeah. Did you find, did you find these to have social commentary then in, in, in that broader societal sense? Cause these felt kind of interpersonal to me almost and like emotional. I, I think so. I think that it's, um, it was interpersonal, but it was, I think a, a bigger idea on, um, specifically like feminist ideals, um, at that time especially with marriage a la mode, which we can get into. Um, but with marriage a la mode specifically, yeah, when she keeps yeah. saying new Isabel is new, the new Isabel, the new blah, blah, that plays on the idea of what was called the new woman, um, which was right. um, the, the name given to women who were um, kind of breaking the mold and going out in society more and uh, riding bicycles and being more physically active and stuff like that. They were like the, the feminists of the time. So I think that there are subtle references to, I think, feminist ideals in all three. 
Yeah. Yeah, I think I think so too. The present even in the last one with the with the lady on the boat, the woman on mm-hmm. the boat who comes back home or what have you. No, I certainly think they could be read in a clearly feminist way. And the the first one felt the most kind of outward looking in that way because it seemed to be this commentary on a that like bohemian social movement, be free, be an artist, you know, right. bop around, live with different people, that kind of an energy. Mm-hmm. So that one felt the most outward looking. The other ones I guess I read is more intensely personal and the and the one that was like the play is kind of its own bit of bit of its own energy i mm-hmm. think let's jump r- uh, right into the quotes for clarification then this is the deep dive part of the pod where we try and get analytical and dig into specific elements of the style i think i've danced around stuff enough to finally dig into some stylistic things i don't mind starting us off yeah, today do it i pulled some quotes from 47 that i noticed that i I think for the most part, I enjoyed this stylistic flourish, but it was maybe a bit overdone. It's her tendency to cut dialogue off and sort of leave things hanging mm. in a really aggressive way, like with a dash kind of way, almost in that, that mm-hmm. same energy. There's a dialogue or there's a conversation here between these two characters and it goes, do darling, said Janie. And while you're away, the children's letters. Oh, later on we'll do, said Hammond. But then we'd get it over, said Janie, and first I'd have time to. Oh, I needn't go down, explained Hammond. I'll just ring and give the order. What do you want to send her? You don't want to send me away, do you? And Janie shook her head and smiled. So it's there's a couple of cutoffs there. They're kind of cutting each other off. And then on page 53, there's another one that says he was too weak. He was too weak to move a finger. And yet he died in Janie's arms. She who'd never, never once in all those years, never on one single solitary occasion, no, he must not think of it. So in both cases, we're left directly with an unexplained conclusion, basically, mm-hmm. that either she didn't do something and that in the other case, like, we, we don't know what's going to happen to the children's letters. And first, I'd have time to, she's going to have time to do something if we get the letters out of the way. And I think, I mean, I'm not sure how you read this story. I read those as intensely uh, sexual innuendo laden. Yeah, for sure. (laughs) I don't know if you, okay, that's good. I wasn't sure if I was super off base there. Uh, The going down line to me read in in an incredibly strong way. And so (laughs) that that part felt the most clear as a reference to him having this overeager sexual drive and like basically saying, we don't even have to have foreplay right now. Let's just, (laughs) let's get to something. And so- Yeah, I think it it works in that regard because it builds those thoughts and it builds your own in the back of your mind. It kind of forces your analytical brain to come out mm-hmm. and to kind of play with that and, and think about it, analyze, which I, you know, for the most part enjoyed. I think when you have dialogue that only ever cuts each other off, it can be exhausting to read. I think that that even if it's more natural, to be honest, I think a lot of conversations can be clipped in that way in, in the real world. Right. But I think you have to have some of it and cleanly just to make it have cohesion and flow i guess Mm -hmm. but i I enjoyed it i think for the most part it led to me pausing having some deeper thoughts and then having to connect some thematic things so i'm glad you read that the same way as i did did you notice that or have any thoughts on? yeah i I noticed it as well um especially since the other two stories it wasn't quite so bad she used the dashes actually as more of like um commas in the other stories where it was like just extra information um yeah. But yeah, in this story, it, it when I first noticed it, I had to stop and think about like, okay, so why would she do this? Why would she change it up stylistically like this? And I, I came to the conclusion that 
uh, she was doing it originally with the with the dialogue specifically to show he's like uh, he especially cuts her off a lot. So it's that mm-hmm. that power yeah. over her that attempts to um, cut her off and and control her in a way because that's also like the whole story. And then later when he's with that thought of never on one single solitary occasion and then it ends, that's his attempts to control himself. So I saw it as like control um, as a theme there. Yeah. What is, I mean, I don't want to be too literalist with this, with that sentence. Mm -hmm. She who'd never, never once in all these years, never on one single side, like did, did what never did she do what what's, what's your literal reading of that? How does that end? I was thinking that, um, to uh like uh hold him to be the one to initiate the holding because the guy was in her arms and she was the one that was holding him but in all these scenes he's right. the one holding her oh okay That's yeah that actually it. probably makes the most sense okay. i was th- yeah i thought it might have just been a broader kind of emotional confidence or something mm. like that he he just trusted her in his dying moments or something it was just kind of a but no, I, it's funny too, because and granted the directionality of it probably matters a lot to the reading. So I think you nailed it. But I, as I was reading that, like they, since they're holding each other, he, like you said, he's holding her, they're like wrapped up. I didn't think of that at all. Mm-hmm. That's an, that's a great reading. I, I hadn't even thought of the kind of who initiates, who's doing the, you know, who's the big spoon, little spoon, <laughs> but yeah, no, I hadn't even read it that way, but that makes a lot of sense. I was reading it in a more vague terms where it was just kind of like, she'd never trusted him or confided in that same way Mm. but that yeah that makes sense too any other um or any other any quotes you want to start us off with sure um i chose one from mrs brill which is the middle story and i chose um to to kind of like look at her wordplay and stuff like that and her uh, ability to create a setting so it says the blue sky powdered with gold and great spots of light like white wine splashed over the jardin public but when you opened her mouth there was just a faint chill like a chill from a glass of iced water before you sip so i thought that was a really nice description and also she's playing on the idea of like thirst there with the wine and mm-hmm. then the water um but also you get a, a it's a unique way to describe the way that um, light, what light looks like, right? I, I hadn't thought of white wine as a play on on the way that shadows and, and light can hit something. And the mm-hmm. the chill, that, like the air, the temperature is like from ice water before you take a sip. I was like, oh, that's a really great crisp way to kind of describe that feeling. So that was what I liked about her writing was that there were some interesting um, similes and metaphors that she used, um, but also that it was a consist. There was a consistency in her word choices in each story, where she there's very clear motifs in each one that she kind of draws throughout the stories. Yeah, I would say it had a sort of yeah, like you said, an imagery cohesion or something yeah. that she's able to evoke. And that helps with the mood and tone of the pieces too. I I wonder if my next quote. I wonder if it plays off this though, not with the imagery, more with the tone. Mm-hmm. But I, I chose some from Miss Brill as well, the one where she believes she's in a play. There's some descriptions of her and her perception of just her life. Basically, she's just going about a day in her life, relaxing in the park, and she interprets this as her being in the middle of a play. And the descriptions go 
But even the band seemed to know what she was feeling and played more softly, played tenderly, and the drum beat, the brute, the brute, over and over. What would she do? What was going to happen now? But as she wondered, the Ermine Toke turned, raised her hand as though she'd seen someone else, much nicer, just over there, and pattered away. Oh, how fascinating it was, how she enjoyed it. How she loved sitting there watching it all. It was a play. It was like a play. It was exactly like a play. And then later she says, no doubt somebody would have noticed if she hadn't been there. She was part of the performance after all. How strange she'd never thought of it like that before. And I think it sets things up pretty clearly here. I I think that that sort of story establishment, that sort of character work is being done is, is all pretty good. I wondered in this one if it, if it indicated some of the, I don't know, almost heavy handedness of it or the, I think, over tweaked emotionality of some of it. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, there were a lot of exclamation points in what I just read that perhaps I didn't play up as I should have. That is kind of the reason why I pulled it, because it just feels like her banging the drum at times. Mm-hmm. And so I think I don't know. I just tonally, I think some of these plays were heightened in ways that I don't know if they fully earned or if it is more obvious thing, which is just I don't know if I connected with some of the stuff going on, like in the first story with the falling apart marriage and the friends who are there, that whole conflict felt so foreign to me that I, I don't know if I could ever fully buy into the, the drama that she clearly wants it to have. Mm -hmm. And again, that's kind of what I like in short stories, right? When you take a weird, small, really niche little moment and kind of explore the drama of Mm -hmm. it. I just don't know if her tone fully got there for me. It felt, I don't know if cloying is the right word at times, but it felt a little too uh let me use the pun then drummed up Mm -hmm. it was like too a little loud for me and i'm not sure if the moments match the noise of it um but i did think for the most part it flowed pretty well i'm not sure if you read the tone that way too for me um the tone was pretty clear there was like no subtlety i felt like with anything that she did in the stories except for maybe like um her play with the motifs but what I pointed out actually in my other quote is there's her characterization is important, right? Because these are meant to be dramas and they're meant to be kind of um, discussions and um, views of interpersonal relationships, um, whether it's in marriage or in the case of Miss Brill, if it's in the, you know, how she relates to just people in general because she's single. Um, so that's the important thing. But what I had struggled with was that the characters, like what you were saying with Miss Brill, it's just that it was, it was almost like broad strokes of these characters. So we couldn't really feel anything for these characters because we don't get to see their emotional ups and downs. We don't really get to connect to them because it's like they're characterized. They're not real people the way that she has depicted them. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, I suppose in that way. Yeah, I think in that way, the comparison or the literary device or her establishment of it is a theater as, as a play right. kind of in a weird way reflects in that sense, her own style in, in a very convenient analytical mm-hmm. way. It, it is sort of the, the I could picture some of these being effective on a stage where like the stage makeup, you need everything to be really loud because you're trying to communicate to people far away. And I think these had sort of that feeling, but the effect on me was to just kind of push me away. It felt emotionally a little foreign to me, I believe. Mm -hmm. And that's okay. I don't, I'm not afraid to read something not even intended for me or out of my time period, out of my, you know, et cetera, et cetera. 
but yeah, these these felt. I mean, at the end of the the marriage story, the stranger one, you know, you know, oh my god, what is she saying? What was she doing to him? This would kill him. And uh, there's just it's just really hammering that kind of tone, that kind of feeling. And yeah, I don't, I can't say that I found it all that in, interesting all the time, but. Yeah, the character work and like the dynamics at play in the marriages for the most part were intriguing. And that twist at the end of the play one, I thought was uh, weirdly speaking of tone. I thought it was a little limp, but I got the point, you know, <laughs> like I, I got the what the twist mm-hmm. was supposed to be. I felt like the, the insults could have been a little could have done a little more with that again. But that's me putting my modern expectations on it. Maybe that's a really sick burn that I'm under reading or something. But yeah, so I, I think it didn't work for me. But then again, th- I think it's more personal reaction than it is like this was poorly done. Right. And I think that stylistically, she does a great job with her stories. I just with the character specifically, I felt like she was trying to kind of like um, railroad me as the reader into like liking or disliking certain characters immediately without actually yeah. giving me any kind of like um, exploratory reasons for why I might dislike this character or why I might like this character. It's just like, and I know that they're short stories. You don't have time necessarily to do that, but with, with these characters being the whole, there's no plot, uh, right? Like the plot is based on the character's understanding of themselves and that's it, right? There's no other story right. going on. So that means that the characterization has to be really spot on. And I felt like it wasn't always that spot on. I just felt like it was just broad strokes, like generalizations of people rather than an actual person that I was reading about. Yeah, it all does feel quite heightened, yeah. which, you know, maybe we're maybe we're hypocrites and that's okay a little bit occasionally <laughs> to be hypocritical. But I think, yeah, because in a short story, you just you have to be being both efficient and allowing for ambiguity to creep in complexity. Mm-hmm. That's the whole challenge of that specific type of writing, that specific medium. So, yeah, these felt a little brute force to me at times as yeah. well, though not entirely ineffective, but uh, it could be slightly off putting. Yeah. Let's jump to the literary corner then and talk about something that we can educate the listener on that would showed up in this work. You chose for this week, Amanda. So why don't you take us away? And I'm, this is, if we haven't done this one yet, then what are we doing? Yeah. But I'm glad, I'm happy to bring some of them up multiple times. Some literary devices are so important and common that they, they need that. So take it away. I know that we've um, discussed motifs a lot, but I don't know that we've ever actually defined what a motif is. So sure. if you if you did not know what it was beforehand, sorry. Um. <laughs> yeah, geez. Oof. <laughs> uh, but um, a motif is any recurring element that has symbolic significance to the story. So it could be an image. It could be a word. It could be a color. It could be anything that just seems to keep cropping up and it's not always um, very obvious sometimes it's pretty subtle Um, you just have to like train yourself to find it but it can be Mm -hmm. um, and, and the purpose of it is to tie together usually the theme uh, for the most part but it can also tie together um, any kind of uh, symbolic um piece of information that the author really wants to like hone in on yeah Mm -hmm. yeah yeah any i mean frankly if we're being generous and uh don't want to sound too uptight and literary about things 
anything that recurs. Yep. <laughs> if it repeats, it could be a motif. Mm-hmm, for sure. <laughs> and that and it goes for just about anything. So feel free to impress your friends at your cocktail party <laughs> after coronavirus. What the fuck? There's no cocktail party. Uh, whatever. <laughs> However you're living your life. The next time you're in a group of people and you want to sound snotty. Um, but it's true, though. That That is it's an intentionally done repetition. Yep. And he, I mean, frankly, it seems like for her career motif of, of marriage would be an important one. Was there any other that struck you? Um, well, yeah, each story had its own motif. Uh, so for yeah. like the uh, marriage a la mode, um, she had uh, the imagery of child, childishness and the word cool and the word new. And then in the stranger one, there was also childishness and the word cool again. But then there was also a play on balance. There's a lot of balance imagery in that story. And then with Miss Brill, it was um, the animals, the colors and the music. Those three concepts kept popping up for me. Yeah, the colors were intriguing. And I think that story has the clearest, I think, twist, quote unquote, at the Mm -hmm. end. So I think you can that plays against expectations by the end and that leads adds it up to the twist. So I believe that one's probably the clearest reading. The others would take some good, some unpacking though, for sure. Um, though I think, like you said, a feminist reading, I think would lend a pretty clear analysis to some of that stuff. (laughs) Let's move, let's move to the final Russell French in memoriam. So what's good about it segment. This is before we give an official review. We like to praise the work for one thing at least and I'll start. I thought the two stories that depicted marriage were kind of horrifying in their own ways in a positive way. It just sort of, they unearthed different, maybe ugly truths of being married about missed feelings, missed communication, and just sort of the imbalance that can grow in a relationship over time. And so in a way they, they had certain timeless elements. I think we already covered how the character work and the writing maybe was a bit much for me. Mm-hmm. And so I didn't connect in that way, but I do think the whether it's the wife guy meme or just general notions of, you know, balancing a relationship over a long period of time. I felt like there was enough going on there that, um, that felt, I don't know, again, I'll, I'll say timeless. So I think that's generous, but I think also true. How about for you, Amanda? What'd you like? Um, I really liked some of her imagery in her works. I think that she does a really good job with um, creating setting and also just general description. I think that she's got um, a really good eye for that. Or perhaps a really good pen for that is what I should say. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. A typewriter? Yeah, no, it was, it was a pen. Good ink for that. There we go. Uh, <laughs> yeah, great ink. <laughs> and um, she does really well with um, the consistency of the imagery as well as the consistency of her symbolism and her themes. Yeah, would never accuse these of being sloppy. Yeah. That's for sure. Definitely felt coherent. And I mean, for a modernist author... I feel like, or, you know, someone on that, right on that line Mm -hmm. definitely doesn't leave you super baffled. It's not, you're not staring down something incomprehensible or something. It's there. It's pretty clear work, but leaves enough in the margins. Let's begin or begin. Let's end. (laughs) (laughs) I was going to say, let's begin the final review, but these don't take that long folks. Let's jump into the final review. (laughs) Amanda, why don't you start us off this week? We go with a simple yes, maybe no system. Either yes, you should read this listener. No, you should not. Or maybe a qualified recommendation. What do you think? Amanda? I think maybe, um, I couldn't yeah. give it my full hearted. Yes, yes, yes. Just cause, um, I again felt that she was just, the characters were a bit flat for me in that I didn't get a sense that these were like real people, um, which was a, a problem for yeah. me. And, um, it wouldn't have been as bad if there were another plot 
to go along with it, something that could string me along in a different way, another interest point where I wouldn't feel like the character development was quite so important, but because these were dramas specifically meant to look at people, two characters or one character and their interactions with others, you really have to really have a great development character development in order to accomplish that properly. So it was good uh, stylistically, but for me, the characters kind of fell flat um, and didn't quite pull my interest along. But I found yeah. other ways to get around that. So if you approach it, I think, with um, an understanding that uh, she was kind of a feminist and she was um, alive during the time of the new woman, the concept of the new woman. And she was like struggling with her family and that she was like uh, exploring her sexuality and stuff like that, too. Then I think that it could be interesting as a, as a historical or even as like a, a feminist read. Yeah. I I think I'm going to bump to no. I, I did put maybe initially. And I do think, because my reaction is, I think the best kind of cliched summary of this, my reaction would be it's a Jack, Jack or Jill of all trades, master of none. I felt like these were perfectly coherent. They were at times even interesting. They had style elements that popped a bit, but it didn't feel like, I feel like if I'm going to recommend an author, uh, especially for short stories, it's because I can give a one sentence sales pitch of the one stylistic thing, thematic thing that makes them really pop mm -hmm. and that their short stories allow them to, to kind of show off that element in a bunch of ways. And it's sort of like, yeah, like Poe is one I was thinking of while reading this. I, Drew and I, when we reviewed Edgar Allan Poe forever ago in the series, it just coming out of that, you just think, man, people don't create mood quite like that guy did. Mm -hmm. And it's really striking when you see it and you read a bunch of it lined up next to it. And so at least with him, I can look at it and say, yeah, I don't particularly like horror. I don't even necessarily love these stories and think the characters are these wonderful people I want to spend time with. That's not the point. But he really strikes up a mood yeah. in a, quite an impressive way. I just don't think coming out of these, I, I would know what to say. I guess the character relationships and the marriage details, but even that, again, felt really embellished and kind of overdone for my own liking. Mm -hmm. And so... I think I'll commit to no. I, I don't, you know, maybe I'm creating false discord between us because I don't, I don't always want us to agree. <laughs> we always, or we always, we often do because uh, I, you know, we have similar tastes and everything. But yeah, I think it's in that maybe no range. But I think I'd be pretty comfortable saying in the history of short story authors I've encountered, do I feel the need to recommend this? I'd say in that case, a no. In the collection, kind of a maybe I enjoyed reading mm -hmm. it. You know, I got through them and I didn't dislike it, you know, at any point. And so, yeah, we've got one coming up next that I think <laughs> might be a bit more of a struggle. <laughs> uh, and that is a preview of next week's episode, which will be some Roman. I think it's Roman or Greek. I think it's Roman. Um, Roman author, Ovid, Ovid. I think it's Ovid. Ovid. Is it Ovid? Ovid. We're going with Ovid. A name you've seen but have never tried to pronounce out loud because you didn't take a classics class and you didn't study Latin. Yeah, it's. I think it's probably Ovid. Anyway, really legendary figure in Rome in terms of writing and, and poetry. And we will see if his work hold up, holds up next week. We have The Fall of Icarus, which is myths about gods and such. We'll cover that one, though, in next week's review. Thanks so much for joining us and listening through this week. So until next time, we will see you between the classics. 